it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Alan West, bottom of the hour, 1-866-408-7669. The number to call to be on the show. We're watching a series of events taking place. Uh, and there's a lot of things that uh, we're going to try to go over this hour. And, of course, uh, factor you into it. If you prefer to write, briankilmeade.com and just click on comments. And I'll try to get to you. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You don't hear anybody in the Senate moving to act on the debt limit. And I think that's because Senate Democrats can't pass an extension of the debt limit without the kind of spending restraint that the Republicans want. That is Brit Hume, debt ceiling deadline. Not likely, uh, is there a deal about to be done? Not likely, but both sides will meet today around 4 o'clock. If there's a way for wobbly Joe Biden to do a deal to keep our country from defaulting on his debt, I suggest he does it. Number two. Tomorrow's going to be a bad day for the White House, and it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, he lied about the laptop. He lied about his involvement in his family's shady business dealings. Uh, he lies when he says his son has done nothing wrong. Yep, that is James Coma Hunter. The problem, not the focus. As investigators circle in on the years of his shady owner overseas business deals involving his entire family, as once again the New York Post gets shafted by this administration. Sorry, Joe. They and so many other outlets cannot be stopped. Number one. We cannot manage this influx alone. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. That's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs. 48 hours until Title 42 goes away. And a tsunami of foreign humanity is already flooding our southern border in anticipation. And that's one thing that surprised me. Henry Cuellar expected... Uh, Senator Cinema, somewhat surprising. And now Democratic left-wing governor of Arizona, Katie Hobbs, said, we're getting killed here, and I can't get the Biden administration to answer my calls or answer my letters. Here's more from her. Cut one. We cannot manage this influx alone. Without much more robust action from the federal government, the current situation will only get worse. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. We will continue to relentlessly pressure the federal government until we truly get the resources we need to manage the expected influx. Is that unbelievable to you? It's stunning to me. You're not even communicating to people. And when you do talk, all you say is, I, when I walked into office, I gave a proposal for comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah, everyone gets legalized. Don't know border wall. I'm sure that'll pass. And the Democratic-controlled House and Senate was so interested, they did not touch it. But that has nothing to do with enforcing the border. You might want some changes to laws in your city, in your town, in your state. But it doesn't mean your cops stop enforcing the law until you work around the edges to get those changes made. Correct. So when you bring up we need immigration reform, that's us besides the point. You want your Berkeley um, student from Bangladesh to be able to stay here because he or she would be an asset to Silicon Valley? That's one thing. 
It has nothing to do with allowing law enforcement not to come, to pressuring Central and South American countries not to open up their borders, to pressuring Mexico to enforce their border. I mean, the last year Trump was in office, for the entire year, 458,000 came across. Do you know in May, it's May already, we already have 1.4 million who have come across. It is incredible what's taking place. So when they arrive here in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, they're overwhelming the hotels. I think there's 122 hotels have been taken. Then they have hangars and uh, docks and piers where they're putting people up in soft-sided tents. So now the city of New York, for example, is now deciding, you know what? We have no room. Why don't I just ship them to a suburb? Suburb. Orange County, Rockland County. I could do that. Why would they do that? They're not sanctuary counties like you are a sanctuary city in those cities I mentioned, like Philadelphia. Don't bring them into the, the, your idiocy. Here's Ed Day of Rockland County when he finds out that the mayor of New York City is just sending people his direction. Cut four. This, none whatsoever. We had to figure it out ourselves. And even when we figured it out, the, 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 mayor's, the mayor and the mayor's office were not giving any details. We had to figure out through investigation exactly where this was going to be. We figured out what hotel it was. We got, we got information that told us how many people were coming. They consistently refused to tell us when they were coming. So it left us no choice. We have no idea what's happening. And I, t- I resent the fact that somehow Mayor Adams thinks he has a hold on humanity um, and, being, and treating people well. He's doing these folks no favors. Right. And he's upset at Governor Abbott for sending people here to New York City, where I happen to be. Well, what are you doing now to Rockland County? Where's the governor in this? Governor doesn't step up. There's no sense of there's really not much state money coming. You're best friends with Joe Biden. You're a Biden apostle. Go get Joe Biden to write you a check. Or our money. In the last 72 hours, 26,000-plus apprehensions, 7,300 gotaways, approximately, obviously, the back of people's heads, and you count them. 164 pounds of marijuana, 83 pounds of meth, 66 pounds of coke, 11 pounds of fentanyl, 5 pounds of heroin, 12,200 seized, one firearm, three sex offenders, one wanted felon, one gang member. That's in the last 72 hours. The next 48 hours of the border, basically, I just got a message from, just got a uh, alert from foxnews.com. It says the border's about to burst. It's about to buckle. Unbelievable. Totally preventable. It all happened because he has no policy. And Mayorkas coming out, I, I didn't even pull the sound from him because all he says is uh, these are bad laws and they should have done uh, immigration reform. Here's Tim Scott last night on, at the 8 o'clock show. Cut nine. President Biden and the radical left obviously want an open border. When the vice president goes down to the border and tells us it's safe the one time she was there and that it was secure, you can't believe a word coming out of their mouths. And uh, he goes on, and I think, by the way, he's going to be announcing that he is all in for to run for office. So I want to bring up what's going on with Hunter Biden. So to, to the, there's a fear among Republicans that they're so close to get to the bottom of the whole Biden family business that they're going to just indict Hunter and basically stop the investigation. Why? We know about his drugs. We know about his irresponsibility, his love of hookers and everything like that. Not even talking about that. It's why he was leading the family business, uh, setting up the deals with Rosemont Seneca, uh, being the personal attorney from the mayor of Romania in Romania, uh, dealing with 
oligarchs in Russia, Kazakhstan, and where's the money now? Where'd it go? As you look back at some of the things that have intrigued, intrigued investigators, 2013, Hunter co-founded the Chinese state entity BHR Partners. It was registered 12 days before the VP Biden, uh, of, uh, the vice president aboard the Air Force Two for an official trip to Beijing. He joined him and went and did the deal. The current status of the deal, 10% stake in that firm, manages gives him $2.2 billion in assets. It remains unclear how much weird Hunter's 10% is. In a different Chinese venture, Hunter and James Biden, Joe's brother, received $4.8 million in between 2017 and 2018. Biden's referred to as the big guy in that deal back in May of 2017, according to Tony Bobulinski. 2015, Joe hosted his son's Mexican business associates. He brought him to the vice president's residence. Hunter emailed one of them, Miguel Alderham Magnani, apparently while en route to Mexico above Air Force Two. Another business associate complained that he didn't receive reciprocal business favors. Interesting. I thought one of the craziest things I read was in 2006, Biden was the top Democrat in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He was chairperson. James Biden openly boasted about selling influence on his brother as he and Hunter sought to take over a hedge fund based in New York, according to this book about the Bidens called Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. He said, don't worry about investors, James Biden allegedly told the corporate executive. We've got people all around the world who want to invest in Joe Biden. We've got investors lined up in, in a line of 747 filled with cash. Wow. Uh, that's back in 2006. No wonder he felt impervious as he became vice president if this is to be the case. Mike McCormick is a stenographer, traveled extensively with President Obama and Vice President Biden. Cut 17. Well, I looked at the uh, stories that were uh, written about it, and it fits into the narrative. It fits into the evidence that I have developed um, based on books I've written, my Substack that I've written. Um, Joe Biden masterminded what his son did with Burisma. He started that in March 2014. I talked with you about it a while ago, about a flight he made into Ukraine in April 2014. And Jake Sullivan came back and basically committed a crime that Joe Biden was in a kickback scheme with his son and Burisma. Pretty amazing. We'll see where that goes. I'm sure he'll be right out in front. And the whistleblower due out, I think, on Friday and a big press conference on Wednesday. The president meeting with the debt ceiling today, debt ceiling today. And on Thursday... There's going to be the end of Title 42. I want to see the other networks covering what's happened at the border because we've never seen humanity like this. Uh, we could have 13,000 a day. Can you imagine? All right, listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We'll take a short time out and come back with your calls. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I honored a group of trailblazing artists with National Medals of Arts and Humanities. The group included groundbreaking Asian Americans like Vera Wang and 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 Joan Shingang. I'm going to pronounce it Shanga Kawawa. I think I pronounced it correctly. She can call me Joe Bitten. Wow. So he only has one event a day, maybe two. And if they're going to give him these words, he obviously has no staff looking to help him. It's Joan Shingon and Shana Guana. Uh, I think I pronounced that correctly. She can show it, call me Joe Bidden. So I don't know what the, well, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, if you're only do you're doing nothing all day that I could tell in front of the camera. So what what does this add up to? Everyone thinks he's too old. Everyone thinks he's ineffective. Nobody likes any of his policies. You see what's happening with foreign policy. You see what's happening on our southern border. You see what's happening with the economy. He wants to point to jobs. You see inflation there. Now, when you have 36% approval rating, I'm telling you, if this does not improve, if things don't get better, I think they're going to make a move on him. Mark Penn, former Clinton pollster, now with Harris polls. He runs them. Cut 29. When he drops here from 42 to 36 in approval in this poll, that's all Democrats who are jumping ship and saying, I don't approve of the presidency he's he's doing. And I think we've seen for a long time, look, the Harris polling showed the same thing for a long time. People question his fitness for continued office. Most Democrats didn't want him to run. But this poll has to send shockwaves. Uh, it, it is shockwaves. I saw George Stephanopoulos do shockwaves. Donna Brazil, she's still marginalizing it, but definitely shockwaves. And I just think that you have President Trump winning by about five or six points. DeSantis, same thing. And I didn't see the Nikki Haley matchup or the Tim Scott matchup, but I imagine they're pretty close. They might even be closer, maybe more of a distance, because in the traditional, they are more, they are less polarizing candidates, perhaps. We'll see. So Ronna McDaniel... Um, talked about the whole wish that Democrats have where Joe Biden's predicting that he's going to go against Trump. She weighed in last night about that. Cut 32. Joe Biden doesn't show up to anybody. I mean, that's why we created factcheckbiden.com. He's going to hide in the basement. He doesn't want to stand in front of the American people. We want to debate. Our candidate will want to debate. Everyone is uh, comfortable going up against Joe Biden. But again, the media will give him a free pass like they've done the past two years and allow him to sit in the basement. The American people will not stand for that. And the Republican Party will be there to debate. Well, right now, if you're head to head and you're losing, you're going to have to bring him out. And they're going to be a ton of surrogates. Barack Obama is virtually going to be running. So if that happens, he's the only chance. I don't even think they get along too well, my personal opinion. So uh, here's more from Ronald McDaniel. Cut 31. 
Democrats are always investing in process. You don't see Democrats sitting around whining that they just lost the House or complaining that Nancy Pelosi is not the speaker. They're already in Pennsylvania organizing and getting people on the permanent voter roll. And I think Republicans have to recognize we can't wait till primaries are done. We can't wait till we have the candidates. You have to invest now. You have to invest in things like voter registration and ballot harvesting and ballot collecting and lawsuits. That's what the RNC does, but we need it now, not later. Later, you can't build the infrastructure. Yeah, and that's true. Listen, you're the one. I mean, who are you talking to? Ronna McDaniel, you're going to have to build it, and you have enough money. But if you explain to people what you're doing, I think it'll be great. I mean, what happened in Pennsylvania, it still boggles my mind. Because they voted so early, because I guess people knew him as lieutenant governor, Fetterman had that stroke, and they said he was fine, but he wasn't. So he finished up wins of the primary. I guess Lamb lost, and you didn't see him for a while. And the, most of the votes are being collected early. By the time you see him, you realize he can only say of two sentences. And then he starts his debate and has a few words. But why did he end up winning? It's no knock on Dr. Oz. The real thing is it's Democrats getting the word out. And I guess running against President Trump because he was such a Trump pick. But, I mean, you had a heart surgeon. You went to college there, has a house there. Some people were upset they didn't live there full time. Well, he was doing a show in Manhattan. I was going to live in Pennsylvania full time. It didn't make any sense. So they got the vote out. That's what that's the one thing that Democrats seem to be much better at this point. It changes quickly than Republicans at getting the vote out of finding out who they are and getting their vote to the polls. And we hope honestly and we hope that's indeed the case. But with his poll numbers now, you got to go. You have to go into Arizona. You have to go into Pitt. You have to go into obviously Pittsburgh, but into Pennsylvania you got to go blanket Wisconsin and Michigan big time, and you can't really say anything about the candidate. You know, Joe Biden's there, but let me go tell you what it's about. It's going to be about governors getting their own people to vote for their own party. In terms of the Senate, uh, it looks like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell thinks they have a good shot, but tells CNN he's not confident the GOP will retake the Senate in 2024. He said, we don't have ideological litmus tests. We want to win in November. We're going to be involved in any primary where there seems to be a necessary to get a high-quality candidate. And we'll be involved in every general election where we have a legitimate shot at winning, regardless of the philosophy. And where are they looking? Arizona. Where are they looking? Where else are they looking? Montana, West Virginia for sure, and Pennsylvania. They think they have a shot at the other Senate seat there. They think they could actually flip Ohio, Sherrod Brown. They think he's vulnerable. He seems to be trying to be a moderate, middle-class guy again, at least until the election's over. J.D. Vance says, I can work with him. That actually helps when J.D. Vance can go work across the aisle because Sherrod Brown is now in a very red state in Ohio. I know the WHO listener, HIO listeners know that. And for him to be accepted out there, he's going to be a little like a Democratic uh, Senator Portman. Hey, guys, I'm just calling as I see it. But in honesty, he doesn't ever go against his party that I know of. He might sp- say some things in disappointment that the president didn't come out to Ohio after the rail spill. But for the most part, he, he's he's uh, not even center left. He is left. But he's going to act center like like Joe Manchin to try to win those six more years. So it depends about the quality of the candidate out there. John Tester, too. He's a quality candidate. For the people, but he is definitely susceptible in a very red state, I think. What about you? When we come back, we'll go to go to the border. How bad is it? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is there. We'll join us next.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I talk to the people on the ground all the time, and I talk to the border agents, and I talk to the ICE officers and the representatives. And they know this is the exact same line we've heard now for two years. They say, oh, no, this time we're really going to enforce the law. This time we're really going to do it. It's going to be the same thing we've seen, but times orders of magnitude. They're going to be releasing individuals by the millions over the next two years into this country. And that's what we're seeing. Um, we already saw about six million. The gotaways are just an estimate. Over the last 72 hours, thousands have poured in. And Thursday, the dam breaks. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, just back from the border in Texas, joins us now. Colonel, what did you see when you were down there? That's far from the first time. Yeah, I can tell you that uh, the the bow has broken. Uh, I was out there, you know, tracking uh, illegal immigrants old school way, looking at footprints and trying to follow footprints. I mean, people, we don't have enough radios down there. We don't have enough aerial coverage down there. We don't have even drones that can get up in the air and try to follow some of these footpaths that we were finding. And I can attest to the fact I I had three getaways. Uh, I was riding with the sheriff's deputy and. Three popped out uh, from uh, in the brush. They jumped the fence, crossed the the road in front of us, and before we could stop the vehicle and, and give foot chase, they had already uh, come across, jumped another fence, and back into the brush. And there was nothing we could do as far as the ability to get drones or some type of surveillance up. So what you're going to see happen this week, is that the the ports of entry are going to be flooded, and all of the border patrol is going to be pulled off of the port of, of their normal duties to go to the ports there to do the processing, which means everything in between is going to be wide open. That's where the drugs going to come from. That's where the the gotaways, the people that don't want to get caught, is go, are going to come from. But Brian, this week represents the end of the sovereignty of the United States of America. And, and I will tell you that when you talk to the people on the ground down there in a little bit of Kenny County, Brackettville, Texas, they feel that they've been abandoned. They've been abandoned by the country, by the president. They've been abandoned by the state of Texas, by the governor, because no one is doing what they're supposed to do, sending people back across the Rio Grande saying, you're not coming into America illegally. They say that they've been sending them back. Uh, but as Henry Cuellar says, if you're sending them back, tape it. Because no one ever sees them getting yeah. on a plane and going. Uh, that yeah. And the previous administration, you saw these people turn around. Then they say it's not going to be worth it. Yeah, well, that's the whole point. And, and, you know, why would we put people on a bus? And, oh, by the way, I want everyone to understand is that when people are put on buses to be being sent out of Texas to New York or wherever, that's $1,400 for a taxpayer here in Texas to foot that bill. And now look at what is happening. Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams saying we're going to push him into the suburbs of, of New York. And, and so it just continues to be uh, – yeah, well, but the problem is exacerbated. So instead of sending them two or three miles back across the Rio Grande – now we're sending them, you know, 2,000 miles all across the United States of America, period. So this is just a complete failure of leadership. This is a complete, you know, abdication of the constitutional responsibility that these elected officials have. And, and let me give an example. In Article 4, Section 7 of the Texas State Constitution, it says that the governor of Texas has the duty and responsibility to repel invasions. When you have millions of people pouring across your your border. When you have 700,000 stacked up, ready to come across the border, which is 1,250 miles, 
that's an invasion. I have a dear friend who lives out in Brewster County, Alpine, Texas, uh, by the Big Bend Mountain area, and she told me uh, over the weekend she had illegals come to her door, banging on the door. And so people are living in terror and fear, and no one is doing anything to resolve this issue. You know, uh, yeah, they, they'll go knock on the door, and the, the question is, can Governor Abbott toss him out? Now, Ken Cuccinelli says that Abbott is not tossing them out. They have a special task force that's just been convened. Says you could turn them around. What is the what is the deal? Can a state turn around? Even though it's the federal yes. government's job to do it, and is yes. Governor Abbott doing that? No, he's not. And that's the whole point. We got a lot of photo ops. We got a lot of optics. We got a lot of gimmicks and task force here and task force there, but nothing is occurring. And so, again, I bring you back to Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution that says that the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state of the union to protect them from invasion. When the federal government does not do that, then Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3 of the United States Constitution says exactly what a state can do to protect itself if actually invaded when they are in imminent danger. You know, you look and think about what happened with the illegal immigrant who had been deported four or five times who killed that family uh, from Honduras in Cleveland, Texas. You know, again, why is this guy in our country? How is this guy able to get a semi-automatic rifle? But think about this. San Jacinto County, Sheriff uh, Capers there, he only had three deputies to cover a 700-square-mile county. Three deputies. You see, that's the problem is that we're not helping out our sheriffs. We're not allowing them to deputize people. We're not, we have turned the control of our border over to the cartels. They know it, and they're making billions upon billions on top of that. So what they're doing is setting up ports in Guatemala and Colombia. They said this way we cut the cartels out. Now, to me, they're also still admitting them in. If they qualify. Now, if they qualify, it's very rare. Almost none of these people qualify. That's what I laugh when they say, well, the Congress has got to act and do immigration reform. One has nothing to do with the other. Nothing is stopping you from enforcing the border. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's all about the laws. And think about what uh, just came out from Mallorcas and the Homeland Security, where they put out a, a, a notice telling people exactly what the Border Patrol and ICE was going to do as far as going out and arresting people. And then they told the illegal immigrants where to go to prevent from being arrested. So we've got an administration that's aiding and abetting human trafficking, sex trafficking, the whole nine yards. And so that's why I say this is the end of American sovereignty. And if there was ever an impeachable offense, if there was ever an issue of treason, this is it. Right. I don't know what people are waiting on. And you know, the thing is, he thinks he's getting the Hispanic vote. The Hispanic community does not like uh, diminishing their citizenship by having people just stream in and get what they earned. So right now, according to... Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz, last 72 hours, 26,000-plus apprehensions, 7,300 gotaways, 164 pounds of marijuana, 83 pounds of meth, and 66 pounds of coke, 11 pounds of fentanyl, firearm, gangbanger, wanted felons, three sex offenders. That is just what they had in 72 hours. They project 13,000 per day will be crossing. And you saw what Bill Malusian put up with that video. Uh, Colonel, my goodness, it goes on for as long as you could see of people in single file males who are waiting to come in here. Please tell me how they're being terrorized in their own country, males in the prime of their life. 
why are we allowing single military age males to just come into this country illegally? I, I mean, this does not end up well. So when I look at the fact that we're sending hundreds of billions of dollars over to Ukraine, and understand, I don't want to see a sovereign nation being invaded, but I have a sovereign nation, my own, being invaded right here. Uh, and we're not doing anything about it. We're not allocating resources. We're not focusing on what is going on. And this is not just an issue of a board. This is an insurgency. Uh, you know, I've been deployed to other countries. I, I've seen what happens on borders. I What we see happening here is far worse than, you know, in Afghanistan or Iraq that I've seen. Uh, and we're not doing anything about it. And, and we have the, the capability. We have the forces. We're allowing a transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization to overmatch us on our own border. That's unacceptable. Yeah. Usually what Steve Scalise said, in reality, cut, uh, cut eight. Secretary Mayorkas has paid lip service, telling everybody the border's not open. Of course, everybody knows the border's open, including people all around the country, not, um, all around the world, not just South and Central America. We're seeing over 140 countries represented coming in illegally to our border. And it's only going to get worse with the end of Title 42. This bill shows you how you can get full secured border uh, if they wanted to go that route. But again, uh, go look at the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency when Secretary Marika said Congress should act. They had the House, Senate and White House, and they never tried to act. In fact, it was mm -hmm. administrative action that opened up the border. So President Biden, with the stroke of a pen, could solve this problem right now. He doesn't want to. I don't even know. I mean, I don't know how it's helping him. The American public is not in support of this. And I want, and this is going to be so bad. The other network's going to have to cover it like it's the Haitians under a bridge, like last time. Uh, Colonel, real yeah. quick, uh, I just got to ask you about the debt ceiling debate. We know that Trump yeah. gave in substantially for Nancy Pelosi and Schumer. We know that Joe Biden said you got to negotiate as as uh, early as 2011 when he was vice president. What do you think is going to happen today, beginning at four o'clock, when this meeting starts with leadership at the White House? I think that the Joe Biden and the Democrats are going to play a game of chicken, and unless they see that uh, political ramifications for them, they're going to try to, again, put the blame on Republicans. Just the same as you got Kareem Jean-Pierre at the uh, podium saying that the crisis on the board, the, the catastrophe on the board is because of Republicans. As long as they have a complicit media that will carry their water for them, they're going to try to push this to the end. All right, Colonel Allen West, glad you went down and did the hard work for us. Uh, I just wish we had better news. Thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. God bless, man. All right, uh, we're back with your calls, one 408 7669 I really think, kid, they're going to start calling. Uh, I think the other network's going to have to go down there. This, this story is just too big. What do you think? I'll get your calls next. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Tomorrow's going to be a bad day for the White House, and it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, he lied about the laptop. He lied about his knowledge of his family's uh, shady business dealings. He lied about his involvement in his family's shady business dealings. Uh, he lies when he says his son has done nothing wrong. So it's going to be judgment day tomorrow for the White House. I hope so. Comer's out in the limb on this, and they must be really confident because I talked to Nancy Mace on television on Fox and Friends a short time ago. She also says what they've seen is just going to stagger the American people when it comes to, to fruition. Yesterday, 
there was a press conference on air travel. They're going to find airlines if they cancel flights for no reason. And I don't know. You know, it's a minor uh, compared to everything going on right now. I really don't want to see airline fine. I just want to see them be able to get off, take off, and land on time. That's my goal, weather aside. But it's not a priority. But what they did is they boxed out the Daily Caller and they boxed out the New York Post. They said there was no room in the press conference, but there were 20 seats wide open. Why is it? The New York Post, who you know, published the laptop, and then you sidelined the Twitter and Facebook and all the other accounts, the Instagram accounts that they had, said it was disinformation. If you retweeted that story, you had, like, Kaylee McEnany, even though she was press secretary, you had your account suspended. Now they're leading the Hunter story, and you see uh, the president's on with his family business on the cover today again. So the president's got to find out. You know, not only are his, are his ratings bad, are they going to get a whole lot worse when people find out what exactly Hunter Biden was up to representing the family? So the email from the White House to the New York Post about not accommodating them in the press conference yesterday, which is so petty. And I hear that Trump did it, too. We are unable to accommodate your credential request to attend the, inve- the investing in airline accountability remarks. The earmarks will be remarks will be live streamed. Thank you for understanding. They didn't understand. And there were 20 seats still available. And people took pictures and they sent them out. Uh, so there were, other, there were other reasons, too. So what bothers me is they have this White House Correspondence Center where the president gets up and laughs about the fact that he doesn't take questions and walks away. Gives fewer press conferences than any president, I believe, in modern history. Gives an interview once every three months to a friendly outlet. And yet you had the White House Correspondence Center. You didn't turn around and say, hey, guy, White House. You don't give us any access. You're bottling, you're blocking off certain outlets that you don't like. When a new president comes in, what's going to stop them from blocking off outlets they don't like? It's not good. So stop kidding around about it. Stop joking about it and do something about it and call them out. So in June 2022, 73 journalists representing two-thirds of the White House briefing room seats signed a letter demanding the end of this mysterious pre-screening process but the, but the unprecedented accent restrictions remain in place. Press officers refuse to explain the criteria for selection for people to ask questions or to get seats at various events. Now, for those of you saying leave the crackhead alone, obviously he's a mess. It's, I, I agree with you. I could not care less about Hunter Biden. Only as it relates to his dad and influence peddling. For example, why is he selling paintings when he learned to paint about a, a year ago? He's selling paintings for $500,000. Who are these people? They don't provide the names. They want their privacy. Well, do they have access? Do they have political uh, acts to grind? Do they have an agenda? Are they lobbyists? Who would pay $500,000 for an original Hunter Biden? Which he, by the way, he's not even painting. He's blowing it through a straw, which is unbelievable. Instead of sucking it through a drawer to his nose, now he blows it out through his mouth. So what is the problem? People want to find out, did the Biden family benefit from this Chinese uh, entity called BHR Partners, which registered 12 days after they joined, after Hunter joined his dad aboard Air Force Two for official trip to Beijing. They Joe Biden was referred to as a big guy in 2017 for a Chinese deal called CEFC Energy, where the company that James Biden and Hunter Biden were listed on got 4.8 million, 4.8 million dollars between 2017 and 2018. On the list of payouts, 10 percent goes to the big guy. May of 2017. Can somebody possibly answer that? 2015, 
Joe Biden hosted his son's Mexican business associates at the vice president's address in Washington. Hunter emailed one of them, Miguel whatever, Maginari, apparently while uh, en route to Mexico aboard Air Force Two with yet another business associate, complained that he hadn't received any reciprocal business favors for having access to his dad. I mean, it goes all the way back to 2006. So you could just say it's a lark, it's nothing. there's nothing to see here, or you're going to say it's a big deal. Chuck Grassley was asked, cut 16. This is uh, uh, very crucial to the credibility of the FBI and the confidence of whether or not we're going to have equal justice or whether there's bias in our law enforcement, meaning political bias. In other words, treat Republicans one way and Democrats another way. So we know how uh, Republicans are treated. Let's see if Hunter's going to be treated differently. Mike McCormick, the stenographer with the Obama witnessed Joe Biden up close and personal. And as he puts two and two together and sees his investigations moving forward, he was incensed this morning. Cut 17. Well, I looked at the uh, stories that were uh, written about it, and it fits into the narrative. It fits into the evidence that I have developed um, based on books I've written, my Substack that I've written. Um, Joe Biden masterminded what his son did with Burisma. He started that in March 2014. I talked with you about it a while ago, about a flight he made into Ukraine in April 2014. And Jake Sullivan came back and basically committed a crime that Joe Biden was in a kickback scheme with his son and Burisma. Pretty amazing. So Biden was asked about it Friday. Cut 21. First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. I know he cares about him. He should be proud of him in context of coming back from addiction. My son has done nothing wrong. You know he has the gun charge. You know he has with the taxes. You already paid a $2 million fine. And now you know that he's been spearheading the family business. And you knew he was in trouble because you have a voicemail talking about the Washington Post article saying that, son, it looks like we're in the clear. You're in the clear. I read it. What did you know, Joe? From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, where the riots are back. Yep, because of some ridiculous non-crime tragedy, but non-crime uh, but we come to you from Manhattan, which is packed with people again. But they're, don't go in the subways unless you have to. Uh, and I appreciate everyone being here, too. I did a little study about where's the best place to be a cop. And I was shocked. One of the places the best place to be a cop is California, even though I think they're one of the first to, to fund the police movements. Uh, we'll discuss some of that. Doug Collins is in studio. It's going to be great to talk to him. Carol Markowitz is in Florida, but writing for the New York Post. Great perspective on DeSantis and Trump. And then we'll do a simulcast with Varney and company. Uh, well, we'll uh, we're going to talk about how the White House is shifting blame on the border to Republicans for not doing comprehensive reform. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You don't hear anybody in the Senate moving to act on the debt limit. And I think that's because Senate Democrats can't pass an extension of the debt limit without the kind of spending restraint that the Republicans want. 
Yep, debt ceiling deal. Not likely, but all sides will meet today. And if there is a way for wobbly Joe Biden to do a deal to keep our country from defaulting on its debt, I suggest he does it. Number two. Tomorrow's going to be a bad day for the White House. And it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, He lied about the laptop. He lied about his involvement in his family's shady business dealings. Uh, He lies when he says his son has done nothing wrong. Hunter, the problem, not the focus, as investigators circle on the years of his shady overseas business deals involving his entire family. And once again, the New York Post gets shafted by this administration. I'll explain. Number one. We cannot manage this influx alone. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. Amazing. That is Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs in Phoenix, Arizona, explaining that she's getting no help from the federal government as we are about to get blitzed and the border broken by Title 42 dissipating. It's going to be a tsunami of foreign humanity. Already we're up to, on average, 8,800. We can't, It's not sustainable. Doug Collins, you know all about that. Congressman from uh, Georgia, yeah, not a border state technically, but you're dealing with illegal immigration constantly. Oh, constantly. And as, the, as I was ranking member of judiciary, uh, with you know, we had this all the time. And it was never a battle. The Democrats have just no desire to fix the border. You know, they, 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 want they, it open. They, they want it open. They continue. And, and it, you know, it used to be, well, maybe there was a plan. Now it's just, no, they want it open and, and because they don't come up with a solution that actually fits. And now the White House lies about it. Jean-Pierre saying the other day, down 90 percent. That's just bull crap. I mean, I, I mean, you call it from everywhere you have it. Well, the other thing is he's saying that unless you do comprehensive immigration reform, Republicans don't want to do anything. He put the other proposal and out there. It's not feasible, not plausible. There's no wall. There's no barrier. And the Democratic Senate and the Democratic House didn't touch it. Right. It's not as if they were lobbying to try to get some Republican like Senator Cassidy or, uh, or, or Senator Thune or somebody to come across the aisle like they did with infrastructure and guns. They didn't bring it up. And to say, well, the Republicans don't want to do comprehensive. I mean, come on. This is all him. This is all President Biden. Yeah. Look, comprehensive means whole. Comprehensive yeah. means everything. That means that you start with security and you go all the way through legal immigration. That's comprehensive. I, look, I'm, gonna, I'm in this conversation for the Biden administration very quickly. The Democrats have had control of Congress eight years in the past 30. Okay, eight years in the past 30-odd years. Eight years. Complete control for those six of those years when they when they could basically pass anything. Two, four of those years, anything they wanted to do. They never – they took up climate. They took up everything. They never took up immigration. The only bills they ever put forward were either last second when they couldn't do anything. They have no desire to fix this problem. They would rather use them as props and pawns and not fix the problem. So uh, here's Katie Hobbs. I mean, she's the one who barely beat Carrie Lake, who I thought was a shoe in She's way to the left, afraid to debate, and believe me, she wants nothing to do with conservative thought. Cut one. We cannot manage this influx alone. Without much more robust action from the federal government, the current situation will only get worse. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. We will continue to relentlessly pressure the federal government until we truly get the resources we need to manage the expected influx. What does it say to you that the Democratic governor is saying this 48 hours from the end of title 42. What does that say to you? It says to me, she's been lying for the whole time. She ran the whole campaign. This was not a focus of her campaign. Um, she did this, avoided it. She hit, like I said, she hid from media. And now when she's in office, 
when, frankly, nothing can be done. She's now complaining, saying we need more federal money. We need something to happen because it plays politically. This is, But it also shows the depth of this problem. Even she sees that this is a problem. In Arizona, it is a real problem, and she's got to, you know, they're going to have to pick up the bill for it. But for the fact is, she seems desperate. She does. I mean, and the thing is, the first thing she did is take up those containers. Yeah. I mean, they would have had, Ducey would have pushed back on yeah. that. Well, so he put them down there, they actually work. In Texas, they're using them again. This idea, what was it I saw? Was it Jean-Pierre? Somebody said today that the, the, the wall only, you know, doesn't even stop the wind. I mean, they're, they're just being, Brian, they're getting to the point now where it's just ludicrous. You, you take up barriers, you take up spots, and they're saying, well, they can go over the walls, they go around the walls. But no, if you're funneling them to at least some place where you can manage them, it's like trying to, you know, you can't just take a, if you're a rancher. A rancher wouldn't just go out and try and grab every single cow. He would pull them all together and then funnel them in to give them their shots, give them the feed, whatever they need to, because you can manage them when they're close together. When you've got areas where you just got massive amounts of land where they can walk across, I've been on the El Paso border. I've been on the river. I've watched them come across. Again, you, you just this is just ridiculous. And for her to now to come out and say this, the people of Arizona just ought to look at it and say, look, you know, it's a fraud. So what are we going to do if there are, let's say, 8,800 now, they predict 13,000 by Thursday, We've already got over 6 million instant Biden took office, over 2 million gotaways, which means oh, yeah. back of their heads. Yeah. We roughly count. So how does, how does this look? And do you think other networks will begin to carry it like they did the Haitian story when they gathered under the bridge? We showed you that yeah. video. Yeah, yeah. We, do not, we did not have a drone that could fly long enough to get to the end of the line. Wow. Single men. Here is the problem. You mentioned the other media sources. At some point, they're going to have to cover it, but the problem is they're, they're in a terrible fix because they don't know how to spend this. They don't know how to spend this to say, you know, they tried the, it's Trump's problem still. Well, he's been in office two and a half years, and, and the numbers don't correlate. The statistical numbers on, you know, coming across what Trump did to stop the flow at the border as opposed to Biden letting them in. So, I, look, I think they're in a bad spot, and I think I've said this all along. I think Afghanistan is the hidden albatross the Biden administration, but immigration is the upfront albatross this administration. This is the issue that could sink them completely. But uh, and so the media is it's going to be hard to get other media to cover it because they know it will. So the other thing I got to give uh, Republicans credit for is they did come up with a plan. Say, okay, you want a plan? Here's a plan: finish the wall, uh, do an automatic. Uh, if you if you get to if you get to the border and you apply for citizenship, you're immediately eliminated. So they put this forward and they say this is going to die on arrival. Okay, excuse me. They just did a proposal, just like the debt ceiling. Put something together. They do it. They hand it to them. And go. We're not going to do this. Okay. And now when it comes to immigration reform, here it is. Finish the wall. Do this. X Y. No, we're not going to do it. This is a starting point. Yeah. So and it's not a blank piece of paper. Go <laughs> negotiate. This is what's broken in Washington D.C. right now. Okay, they, when when there's when we've lost track that the House or the Senate can start bills, then they pass it to the other one. The other one, fin- you know, then the other one works on them. Then they come together in conference. Then the president, you know, can either sign it or veto it. We've lost all concept of that. The 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 idea of how we make a bill become a law in this country is just completely gone. Okay, Washington is that broken. As someone who was there, it was that broken. And I'll show you on immigration. Zoe Lofgren, Democrat out of California, was the immigration chair on when I was my last two years when I was a vice chair. As a Republican, I went to her and said, H-1B visas, these visas these and stuff like that, which Georgia is the most used in the country, not California, Georgia. I said, I'm willing to work with you on this. I'm willing to take a step further than probably any other Republican has in here. I'm not going to give up security, but these are legal issues here. 
basically was shut out as a ranking member, shut out, didn't call me, didn't talk. We met one time. She didn't want to call again. We got back channel from our farmers and everybody else that she had basically told the union workers out in California that I will not come up with a plan unless you sign off on it. Okay. Again, not working with either side, not putting together, but they wouldn't even bring it hardly to the floor to allow us to amend it or anything else. That's the problem we have right now. Here's my hope. When you see the Hispanic votes are going to the Republicans to the point where he put a bust of Cesar Chavez on his desk the first day he walked in. Oh, yeah. And he has Cesar Chavez's granddaughter running his campaign with absolutely no experience, right. should I add. They knew they were losing Hispanic votes. So if you're going to go easy on immigration and Trump was so bad and was so biased by saying uh, they're not sending us their best. Some of these are <laughs> rapists and whatever yeah. and criminals. They're not, you know, going to put a door in there for people. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. We did an autopsy. Republicans look like they're anti-Hispanic. Trump came in there and just said, no, I'm building a wall, nothing against back. And they didn't interpret it that way. No, I thought that would get Democrats to the table saying, all right, we, we're playing this wrong. No, because they still play to a majority of Americans who don't listen. They still play to the normal, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, and you're going to keep coming back to me all the time. It's just like the gun control issue. It's on immigration issue. It's on spending issues. And they just keep playing it over and over because it works because most people will not take the time to actually look at the issue. They say, well, that sounds more compassionate. That sounds more reasonable. You sound harsh. And and when they understand it that way, that's how Biden gets away with it. The problem is, though, it's not just Hispanic voters. This last election proved it out. Hispanic voters, many areas, especially Texas and, and other places, were moving Republican. African-American voters are actually moving away from the Democratic Party. doesn't mean they're actually all going to the Republican Party, but they're either not showing up or they're, or they're like, and uh, Biden's uh, got a problem there. I was struck by, and we got to take a break, and I want to come back and talk about what Comer's presenting perhaps, but I was struck by these African-American women speaking in Chicago saying that these illegal immigrants are taking services that belong to us that we need mm. after-school programs. We need help with affordable housing. We need help with Meals on Wheels. And I'm not saying that everybody, every Americans are working class. They're not. I mean, they're, they're all over the map. But to see these men and women speaking out, mostly women, saying this is what we get. So if we're going to take tax dollars, can we? Can they go to Americans? There's mm. nothing biased about that. And that's what I think this Republicans should do. Yeah, and start going into the cities go, listen, here's the money. This is the money that's going out there. You might be upset by Ukraine, but I will tell you how that's going to affect world freedom. And people listening to me right now might not agree with you, but I'll give you an argument. I can't argue that we need to support all of Venezuela. <laughs> I can't argue that. You know what? Either can you. Yep. You listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I don't think it's impossible to not come out. I mean, you've got to remember, it's, it's going to be a long process. And, you know, what happens in Iowa, what happens in New Hampshire, South Carolina, that's going to be very consequential. And even if a candidate, you know, is expected to get 10% and gets 15 it becomes a week of great press for that person. And the, the dynamic can change. I do think it's going to be difficult to beat Donald Trump, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. But if you really analyze polling and you ask the question about four different ways, Trump's hard, hard, hard support is about 14 percent. It's not 40. You've got a bunch of people who are for him today that are open to other people. And that's the path that these folks have to put together. That was Sarah Fagan, RNC 
uh, Republican analyst on this uh, one of the Sunday shows. And Doug Collins with me in studio, congressman from former congressman from Georgia. You were shaking your head. You know Trump well, but you're open to other candidates. Well, I mean, look, I think the process is she's wrong. OK, I'm just going to I mean, look, I, I, don't, I don't I don't know if that's the RNC just spinning it, that this is an open primary, which is fine. I got no problem with that. But to say that her heart, I mean, I've looked at numbers. I've been around this for a long time. OK, one, I don't know, Sarah, I don't know her background. I don't know how many campaigns she's actually done, but maybe she's she's excellent. I just disagree with her findings. there. But what do you find? I think he's about like in Georgia. I think his hard number on Republicans is between, between 30 and 40 percent. His hard number. I mean, that's bottom line. Republicans. Republicans. That's terrible. Yeah, but in a primary, he'll add to it, 35 to 45. He could give as high as 45 percent. Remember, if you've got multiple candidates and it's a, and, and it's a primary in which the winner takes okay. off, doesn't matter. Okay? So, and that's, what mo- that's the way primaries are. You're not going to have a runoff in a primary. So, you know, if you've got 35 to, 30 to 45 percent locked up, there's no, run- there's no path for anybody else. Okay? And so this number she has, is it softer in some areas? Yeah. Is there sometimes you make choices to underestimate Trump's? Donald Trump's dominance in a Republican-only field right now is a little foolish. Right. It's, he's surging, no doubt about yes. it. And he's doing it, uh, the indictment, and uh, even though over 50% of the country thought he should have been indicted, which <laughs> I can't believe that, I, I think it was a total joke. It's a total f- folly. And it just it actually emboldened him in a way I think might have surprised him. Now, I think that his team is the best team he's ever had. Around him, I think they're extremely. Over the last two weeks, he's so smart to let Joe Biden be Joe Biden, mm-hmm. and people are seeing because everything he's doing is the opposite of Trump, and everything's falling apart. Mm-hmm. And he's almost just saying, "Do I need to say anything? Do I need to expand <laughs> on this?" So he's up by six or seven. Now, I also think people are getting way too down on Ron DeSantis for absolutely no reason because they say oh, he made mistakes with Disney. Okay, I don't think so. I actually think we, I would think it was a mistake is Georgia. What happened in Georgia? We watched Delta and Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball bully you guys. Oh, yeah. And next thing you know, uh, the only person to stand up to corporate, the corporate America was Governor DeSantis. He told Disney, you know, stay out of my uh, legislation and don't mischaracterize it. Well, the only thing in Georgia was they bullied MLB. Georgia passed the bill. We kept the bill. They they, bull, they bullied MLB to get him the the, the but then these April's. corporations acted and oh. there was no retribution. Right, and and I think that's part of your issue here. Look, the problem that Ron DeSantis has, he's never been vetted on a national stage, and he's getting ready to be eviscerated, if you would, by Donald Trump. Okay, Donald Trump will use everything. His team, as you said, is very very good. Okay, Ron DeSantis was vetted as a governor candidate in Florida, and. Even then, if you go back to that race, it was just a different Who'd race. Would you think of him as a congressman? I, I liked him. I mean, he and I sat next to each other. I liked Ron. And Ron and I got along fine. And and I think he's been a good governor, you know, in what he's done. I think he's done a, a good job. You don't think job. he's been great? Uh, we throw great around too much. Okay. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, has he been really, really good? Yeah. And great in some areas? Yeah. I mean, but also uh, my governor, Kemp, has done some good stuff. Christy Nome's done some good stuff. There's there's a lot of governors in that same realm that took Kemp's the COVID. Been really strong. That took the COVID issue, made it in their own. But again, I can't emphasize this enough. What this is a different level of politics, okay? And Ron, the the DeSantis team has waited a long time. Too long? Not too long, but but they got to do a lot of damage control now because it, it's out right. there. Well, I think he's going to attack back. Is there any doubt in your mind he's getting in? No, I think he's. I think they're getting in now. Right. I, I did about it three weeks ago. So I was maybe wondering, right. but I think he's getting in now. See, I think you got legitimate things to go after if you don't like the way he does with Disney. What I think that when you go after Trump, uh, uh, DeSantis says, "Well, if you're Trump and say, well, he hasn't done a good job in Florida, really, 
Yeah. I've done a good job in Florida. You, you live in Florida. You know how good a job he did. What I think you can't go after Trump in is don't say he didn't drain the swamp. Don't say he didn't finish the wall. Uh, don't say he spent too much. That's all the Congress. It's not, he's not an absolute monarch. You know what yeah. he did to build the wall. You know what he did to affect the swamp. But he can't do everything by himself because the swamp bit back. Because I, but I, okay, and I'm going to play the opposite. I'm going to be Trump. You were there two years, Ron. You never came to me. You didn't do this, Ron. I mean, look, this is, I mean, for, for DeSantis. Just for the record, I was defending Trump just now. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. But yeah, Ron is going to have to go after Trump. Okay. And, Absolutely. And, now that's, and that's but I don't very, think you should go after that on no, that I, stuff. No, so the question. So Nunu's going after him on that. So then where, where does he go after him? That's where it gets interesting. Is he going to go after Is he going after discipline? Is he going to go after the indictments? Is he going to go after, you know, the, and, and, and again, how's that going to play? It, we've got to also take this back. Let's go back to our segment just that we started this segment. 20 seconds. How are you going to not alienate those 15 to 20 percent if you beat him? You need and them. say they're never going to come back. It's that's never been done, no. and that's the key. Yep. But there's never been a candidate like Trump. Never. Ever. I agree with you and on that And there never one. will be again. I agree with you on that one. Thanks, Doug <laughs> Collins. See you on that number. All right. show like no other it's brian kilmeade tomorrow's going to be a bad day for the white house and it's going to be interesting to see what joe biden has to say uh, he lied about the laptop he lied about his knowledge of his family's uh, shady business dealings he lied about his involvement in his family's shady business dealings uh, he lies when he says his son has done nothing wrong so it's going to be judgment day tomorrow for the white house Yes, and one of the people that are just the the uh, the uh, the knife in the side of the White House of anyone with the New York Post, especially Carol Markowitz, columnist, co-author of Stolen Youth: How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. So, Carol, were you surprised first off before we get to the substance of what James Comer's talking about that the New York Post was boxed out of that airplane presser? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Hi, Brian. Uh, so good to talk to you. No, not at all because. They are afraid of the New York Post, and I don't blame them. I think that they've gotten to the point where they're only talking to friendly media, and they're not even talking to them. There was a Washington Post uh, editorial saying that the Biden administration is not having press conferences and how not acceptable that is. Well, yeah, it's not acceptable, but you've let them slide for so long, and the only people holding them accountable are places like Fox News and the New York Post. So, of course, they would want to box them out. Why wouldn't they? Because you're supposed to just let press in, not just friendly press. Right. And I know Trump did some of that, too. But Trump had absolutely no allies outside no. Fox at times and yeah. the Daily Caller. Who knows? But so we did it. But, I mean, the White, uh, the White House Correspondents Dinner, uh, instead of kidding around about you not have, you know, him not giving anybody any access ever. Right. You should probably yeah. say, listen, legitimately, uh, Mr. President, all due respect, Nigeria, you have to start letting people into your press conference. You have to start meeting with us instead of just dressing him in tuxes and mocking each other. I think there could right. be another there another could be a tone to that, but they don't feel any they don't feel compelled to do it. Here's the bigger yeah. question. So mm-hmm. now, uh, Codger in chief, we see what's going on now with uh, Joe mm-hmm. Biden. We see his poll numbers dropping with the ABC Washington Post poll. But now James Comer says, "Give me to Wednesday. I'm going to link oh, this whole Biden family to the Hunter story." Will they? I mean, I I think so, because I think there's so many links to follow here. And, you know, I I don't think that um, 
it would be surprising to anybody if the links do materialize. I, I, there's so much out there. Just I, like I have forgotten so many stories already. I, I remember there was one last summer about Hunter and the Serbian royal family. Like there's just there's so many things that he did that were shady and that absolutely were related to his father being the vice president and now the president. So I think there's absolutely going to be links from you know, the big guy to his son. And the fact that he's now covering for his son, taking him on trips to Ireland, letting him stay at the White House indefinitely, I, all of that is, is really suspect. And the timing, I think, is suspicious as well. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that, you know, he's having this um, paternity, uh, you know, where, not paternity suit, but where he's being asked to pay more child support and he's hiding out at the White House and not being, um, not, not really being out in the in the world. I, I think that there's a lot that the Biden administration is doing to cover up for, for Hunter um, and making him appear not like the deadbeat dad that he is. But I, I really do believe that there's going to be connections made um, shortly where we're going to see what the Biden administration really knows, what Joe Biden really knows, and, and that what that connection is to Hunter. I want you to hear what John Solomon said last night from Just the News, uh, Cut 23. He's going to release an interim report. That interim report is going to show that the influence peddling and foreign business dealings of the Biden family were far more extensive. Many more countries, many more millions, many more LLCs, and, oh, many more Biden family members were involved. He's up to, I think, close to a dozen now. So we'll see a large map of everywhere that the Biden family name is being traded on overseas, many of them adversarial countries. And then we'll take a look at those and say, well, what areas did Joe Biden have uh, policy responsibilities? Oh, what actions did he take? Oh, look, he took actions that sometimes were favorable to the business interest of uh, the Biden family. And I think that that's the pattern he wants to lay out early before we get this information from all of these whistleblowers. And this isn't looking just in the rearview mirror. It's the it's the windshield. And here's what I'm talking about. That there was a a uh, oligarch or billionaire, Russian billionaire mm-hmm. woman who met with Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and their team. And mm-hmm. uh, I think there was a multimillion dollar deal done. Well, it turns out she was one of the few oligarchs that did not get sanctioned after the Russian invasion into Ukraine. Is that a coincidence? The CEFC deal getting uh, dealing, uh, delivering that that lithium mine. Uh, right. To the CEFC, which is part of the Belt and Road program, which was created to undermine American interest. That's a problem, especially, you know, how we need lithium for his green agenda. Yeah. Well, look, going back to the media point, the fact that the Biden administration thinks that they could just ignore this and not address it because their friendly media outlets are not addressing it. I wonder when that comes to an end. There has to be a point where even his supportive media says enough of this and actually begins to cover this administration. I I think that we're getting there because once we hit that point, the dam breaks and we find out everything that the Biden administration has been up to. Carol, I I see two things. As Mm -hmm. bad as all the press was for Trump, he was still in his 40s, uh, an approval. And the press was mm-hmm. terrible as as uh, as supportive as the press is for Joe Biden. He has right. all time low approval. He's at 36 yeah. percent. What does that tell you? The American people aren't looking for cues from the media. They're making their own decisions. Right. And, and look, there's no way to go to the supermarket and not see what's going on 
during the Biden administration and how much better things were during the Trump administration. And, you know, you said that Trump would sometimes freeze out members of the media. Sure, he did that to some members of the media, but he also spoke to adversarial media quite often. And he almost enjoyed that, I think, like he would get off on the sparring with them um, and it would make him seem stronger a lot of the time. And so there is a benefit to talking to the adversarial media sometimes in, in some situations. Joe Biden doesn't do that at all. And he doesn't even talk to his friendly media. A, a lot of that to me is because of the Hunter thing. I think that he knows if he opens the door to having conversations where he doesn't know what the questions are and he doesn't have them scripted out on his little card in, in advance, it can go anywhere. And he doesn't want that to happen. Uh, Carol, I just want to bring up the other thing in schools in, in uh, Florida. I think schools are extremely hot issue. We're going over in New York right now. And I just struck by the fact that in Florida right now, with Governor Stanton's emerging with his legislation, uh, $8,000, right, per kid travels with that kid, could go to private, you could stay public. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, I have three kids. Um, I have one in private school. We're very excited about the the new law. Um, I, I think that what DeSantis is doing in Florida is revolutionary and conservatives all over the country, other governors should be following his lead. It really feels like taking all of the ideas that you've heard about for decades and what conservatives say that they want and seeing them implemented in practice. I'm dazzled every day by my governor. I I really do. I, I think that the politics of it is so smart and other politicians should follow his lead. So how do you, how do you negotiate the two? Because I know you're a supporter of president Trump. You see that he beats Biden by seven or eight. And so does Trump, but head to head is Trump by 20 Carol Markowitz, where do you stand? Well, my background is in political campaigns, so I will say that it is extremely early to be looking at these polls and getting any kind of information from them. I'm looking forward, if if Ron DeSantis gets into this, to a robust race where they talk about the issues and they, you know, sure, they're going to pummel each other. We know it's going to happen. But really seeing what everybody stands for, what they believe, what actions they will take. I think they both have some weak spots, and I think that I'd like to see it all play out. Um, polls right now should be taken with a large grain of salt. And I also think that, you know, when you see polls like Trump or, by, or um, DeSantis beating Biden by a lot, it will dissuade conservatives and Republicans from getting involved in the campaigns. And I think that's a bad thing. I think they should fight till the end and know that, you know, any any poll right now is is way too early to be confident about. Yeah, well, we're, first off, just real quick, where mm-hmm. is uh, DeSantis vulnerable and where is Trump vulnerable? I think Trump is vulnerable on a lot of the COVID stuff. He left Fauci in power. He, um, you know, just generally, I think, let a lot of very bad people run the show. I think personnel-wise, he's vulnerable. I think he hires not great people and stands by them too long. DeSantis, vulnerable on personality issues. I think that Trump makes you feel like the only person in the room. DeSantis maybe doesn't have that it factor. And it matters to people. Who you want to have a beer with really does matter to the American voter. And I'm I'm not sure between those two men who they want to have a beer with, even though Trump doesn't drink. Um, But those are my, my takes on it. Yeah, I I was just I think it's going to be exciting. I don't think it's over, and I think it's uh, you know they talk about donors leaving and coming in and what's going. Yeah, Guys, it's, too early. it's it's spring training, uh, right. right? Carol, it's always right. it's going to be interesting. Uh, you're a great voice through all this, Carol Markwitz in the Brian. New York Post. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Meanwhile, when we come back. I'm going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney because he met my price. He pays me a lot of money in order to see what I look like on television on FBN. 
And then we'll have a chance on the back end of that to take some calls. So listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. I'll be able to take some calls on the back end of this, but right now I'm going to do a simulcast with Stuart, and we talk about what's going on with the asylum and, and what's going on at the border. You know, he'll segue into the real world from the business world and how it all relates, and that's what we're going to do as we do every single Tuesday, especially now. I mean, if you think about this is the most consequential week in the Joe Biden administration and probably henceforth his career uh, from those polls on Sunday to today's meeting at the debt ceiling to Thursday with the end of Title 42. It's time for Brian Kilmeade, who will miraculously appear on the right-hand side of the screen. There he is. Title 42, gone in two days. And the White House blames Republicans for the expected migrant surge. Brian, here we go again. Do you think it's legit for Americans to use the word invasion? I think it absolutely is. It's, it's uh, not a, necessarily a hostile invasion, except for the gotaways and the people we don't see, which is roughly over 2 million. So we see the back of the heads. And we go, okay, there's one. We probably missed another. Let's just estimate. So we roughly have 6 million people here that don't belong. Keep in mind, we already have 1.4 million on the books without the gotaways this year. Now, the last year of Donald Trump that he found unacceptable, maybe so do I, 434,000. So let me ask you, whose policy is it at the border? Who's president of the United States? What year are we in? And who do you think has power in the Senate to stop it? You have four extra votes in the House. They're about to vote on a plan, and you know exactly where they stand. You couldn't get a Democrat to go to the border to have a committee meeting, let alone actually do something at the border. Now we got the governor of Arizona saying something. Henry Cuellar is a stand-up politician doing things what's best for his community, Democrat. Besides that, where do we see anybody acting responsible? And I ask your, your viewers and our listeners— do not buy when someone says comprehensive immigration reform was, was brought out on day one. No one brought it up. Excuse me. You had the Senate. You had the House. You weren't looking to do what you did on infrastructure and get Republicans, what you did on guns and get Republicans. You put it out there, didn't say a word about it, didn't sell it, didn't talk to anyone about it, didn't have a press conference about it, didn't have a speech about it. But you put out a totally insufficient immigration reform where everybody gets to be legalized and there's no border wall in his world. And you said Republicans didn't pick it up. Therefore, it's their fault. Stuart, I know you're asking the question, but I think you know the answer on whose fault this is. Well, I just I remember watching the press conference, so-called press conference yesterday. All the president did was stand up and talk about meal vouchers for airline passengers who have been delayed. And then he walked off the set, just walked away. I mean, I find that incredible that he didn't address the major issues of the day with the reporter standing in front of him. And you know what I'm so hardened by? The American people said you got 36 percent approval rating. And that's why in this country is 50, 50, 40, 40. And the rest are independents, perhaps Democratic Republicans. They know this is not doing your job. This is not doing your job. He's not legislating. He goes on vacation every weekend. He doesn't talk to the press. He's having trouble reading off a page. And when you have a tough name and I all deal with it on a regular basis, I pre-read it. 
And if I don't, I pay the price. Everything he reads is a struggle. And people see that is even the same guy from two years ago. I'm going to add one more thing to this. The White House correspondent's dinner was all fun. You dress up in tux and kid around. At one point in July, I didn't know this, of June of 2022, he keeps on, he keeps on deciding what press go to what events. The White House correspondent said this is a problem. They protested it. And they thought it was so funny that he never answered it, still telling the New York Post and Daily Caller to jump in a lake and Fox at times do, never takes a question from certain outlets. And they never brought that up. And he still allowed everyone to be used as a laugh line that he talks for 10 minutes and turns around without taking any questions. This is real stuff now. We have real issues. And if you can't answer the question, step aside. You can't do the job. Yes. Now, the, new, the White House banned the New York Post reporter from attending the president's public event Monday. Is this because federal prosecutors are near a possible indictment of Hunter Biden and the Post's reporter always asks questions about Hunter? Well, let me ask you, they had, they had a lot of success before when they tried to ban the New York Post. Uh, they basically banned the New York Post from all social media because they didn't like the Hunter story. How did that work out? Within six months, everybody is walking around with their tail between their legs, go, oops, I'm sorry. And now 51 Intel executives, Intel uh, experts, including four CIA heads, look like total frauds because they signed something for political purposes on the urgency of Mike Morrell, commissioned allegedly by the now Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. And now you're going to say there's 20 seats open. There's no room. We saw the empty seats. Now the New York Post got to sit back the fifth largest newspaper in the country. I don't think the American people uh, will tolerate this. And that's what I brought up. He's got 36 percent approval rating, even though he's got a compliant press. Donald Trump had everybody writing stuff against him. He was at roughly 43 percent at this time. You know what it shows? The American people are looking past the media and making their own decisions about what they hear. Yes, and President Biden is in a lot of trouble. Brian Kilmeade, thanks very much. See you again real soon. See you in the whole story. I to take, just want to take a moment to say thanks very much. Yeah, so um, I, I, this is a, that was sometimes you were doing different topics than Stuart, but that is pretty much right on, on the money, what we were talking about. And when you say Joe Biden sticking up for his son, I feel bad for him after family tried to hold true. But if your son's a crackhead, uh, addicted to sex and on tape having hook with hookers, getting kicked out of the military because you're failing a, uh, a drug test, and then getting people pregnant and have to be sued for paternity, don't say my son is always right. Mark Levin brought that up. I want you to hear what Mark said. Cut 22. It's one thing to defend your son, but it's another thing to be proud of this kid who was a drug addict, who paid for prostitutes, who purchased a gun and lied on his form who didn't pay his taxes, who got a woman pregnant and then walks away from the baby. You're proud of that? Honestly, sir, you're sick. And the fact that you don't step up and take care of business in your own family tells me plenty. So as far as his polls go at 36%, I can tell you, in my family, it's a big zero. Right. And what you say is this. Just because people in your family and maybe you and me were not perfect, it doesn't mean you think less of them. But you can't defend action, which is clearly abhorrent. That's his point. Everyone knows the tragedy he went through and how it affected him. Obviously, his mother dying at a young age. Everyone's got issues. How you act through those issues and what you do. And also, that's a great point Mark brought up. I wish I brought it up. As grandfather, you take care of that kid. Don't even wait for you. Your son's not going to do the right thing. You do the right thing. And you make sure that kid goes to the White House, too. 
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Jane Hampton Cook is going to be with us in about 15 minutes. Uh, she's a former White House communications staffer, presidential historian, and is an award-winning author of a brand-new book you're going to love, The Submarine and the Spies, Friendship and Vigilance in the American Revolution. We need to get back to finding about, uh, finding out more about of our country. And the more you find out, the more you'll be in awe of it. And meanwhile, we're seeing something historic going on right now at the border. We're also seeing uh, horrendous r- r- rallies uh, against this 24-year-old Marine who did the right thing in the subway, in my view. We'll discuss all that. Uh, and Tom Cotton at the bottom of the hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You don't hear anybody in the Senate moving to act on the debt limit, and I think that's because Senate Democrats can't pass an extension of the debt limit without the kind of spending restraint that the Republicans want. Yeah, that is Britt Hume weighing in, of course. Debt ceiling deal. Not likely today, but all sides will meet. That's good. Uh, Let's see if wobbly Joe Biden will do a deal and keep our country from defaulting on its debt. Number two. Tomorrow's going to be a bad day for the White House, and it's going to be interesting to see what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, He lied about the laptop. He lied about his involvement in his family's shady business dealings. Uh, He lies when he says his son has done nothing wrong. James Comer, big promises on Hunter. He's the focus, but the investigation circle is much beyond that. It's about shady overseas overseas business deals that date back to 2003, involving his entire family, his brother especially. Meanwhile, the New York Post gets shafted because they're following this story out of a press conference, which was a press conference we didn't need to have. Number one. We cannot manage this influx alone. I've sent letters to President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas outlining specific actions that need to be taken. As of today, we have not received an adequate response. That's a Democrat governor. 48 hours until Title 42 goes away and a tsunami of foreign humanity is already flooding our southern border in anticipation. And I just got to bring you to what's happening here in New York. So we know there's about 60,000 illegal immigrants who have come over the last year and a half, two years, into New York. We got at least 40,000 in 122 separate facilities. They're thinking about putting them in. I don't know if you've been to New York, but you know JFK Airport. They have refurbished it, and there's some empty hangars uh, just putting beds in hangars. What do these people do all day? You're in the middle of nowhere. It's not even like you're in New York City. You can walk out your door and see a bunch of businesses or something to see. Or get some money. We we pay and give you food and free room and board, so we'll probably give you money to go to the movies. That's not going to happen. So you know what Mayor Adams decided to do? Do exactly what he's complaining the governor of Texas is doing and start shipping these men and women to these suburban counties like Orange County, Rockland County. I'm sure it's Nassau County, Suffolk. And guess what? They're saying, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Uh, what do you mean you booked a hotel for these people? We don't have we don't we can't put them in our schools. We don't we're not a sanctuary county. You have decided to be a sanctuary city. You're getting what you paid for, what you asked for. That's why they're hitting Philadelphia. That's why they're hitting New York. That's why they're hitting Chicago. It's not because there's black mayors, it's because there's mayors who say we're gonna stop ICE from actually cracking down on illegals that are here. So they get to stay for about ten years anyway. So listen to the blowback the mayor Adams is getting, and I don't blame him when Neil Cavuto cut for. This none whatsoever. We had to figure it out ourselves. And even when we figured it out, the, 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 mayor's, the mayor and the mayor's office 
We're not giving any details. We had to figure out through investigation exactly where this is going to be. We figured out what hotel it was. We got we got information that told us how many people were coming. They consistently refused to tell us when they were coming. So it left us no choice. We have no idea what's happening. And I, t I resent the fact that somehow Mayor Adams thinks he has a hold on humanity um, and being and treating people well. He's doing these folks no favors. Right, because what are they going to do in Rockland County? You got a seven-year-old kid, probably a great kid. I wouldn't, let's just, just assume the best. They're the best people. They don't belong here. This is how you get into our country. The, the, the things they're doing to get asylum, that's called showing up. That's not the way you get into our country. What's insulting is when they say you got to do comprehensive reform. If you don't do comprehensive reform, you're guilty of this. You're not. So that is the Rockland County executive having to hunt down where the buses are going in their own county. It's a little like those planes that land at Westchester Airport, at Jacksonville Airport, and others in the middle of the night at 2 in the morning. You see Secret Service get out. They get on buses, and they just go. And you think, where are they going? The federal government is just basically sending people into your state. More from Ed Day, Cut 5. What the mayor is doing right now is taking people, trying to have a, a New York City homeless shelters outside New York City in direct violation of zoning laws. The, the areas that he has cannot even legally put these these things up. So it's, it's to a point now it's it's really absurd. And, you know, this whole issue about how many taken on, here's what we got. We have a situation where the mayor of New York decided he wanted a, he wanted a sanctuary county, and he got it. And now he realizes he bit off more than he can chew, and he can't handle it. So he wants to, he wants to take these poor folks and dump them wherever, in 35 miles north of New, 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 York, New York City. And listen, I, I, I applaud him for speaking out, but they're going to be as frustrated as Governor Ron DeSantis after they arrive. And the mayor of Jacksonville never knew they were coming to Jacksonville. And and in Pennsylvania, I think there's a couple there. They never knew they were showing up. But you get next thing you know, in Texas and in these states I just mentioned, all of a sudden your class size that's 23 is now 33. And the kids don't speak English. A lot of times they don't even speak Spanish because you got 120 uh, countries. Uh, 60 over the last month, but 120 have been represented, including Chinese. And you say to yourself, okay, now I got to get services, special services, taxpayer dollars, and help these kids out. Now the other kids are going to get, their schooling is going to definitely be hurt by all this, obviously. The other major story that happened a few days ago, just about a week ago now, is this, uh, this crazy 30-year-old schizophrenic who's got been arrested 44 times ends up hopping on a subway train and screaming out things to the nature. I don't care if I die. I don't care if I go back to prison. Just start screaming. No one knew what he was up to, but they all felt threatened. And his name is Jordan Neely. 44 arrests, three unprovoked assaults on women on subways. One woman punched in the face at a deli in Greenwich Village. Another time he tried to kidnap a seven-year-old outside of school. This guy is mentally disturbed. People, oh, his mom was murdered. Okay, terrible. Why does that give him the right to kidnap a child or punch a woman in the head and she still has permanent brain damage now and still dealing with headaches? So Jordan Neely's family is upset because Daniel Penny, who's from West Islip, and by all accounts a great kid, lacrosse player, joined the Marines out of high school, uh, was a, is a surfer, Going in with a backpack at 2.30 in the afternoon on a nice day, on a rainy day actually, and decide to hop on a subway, sees this guy going crazy. I don't know the details, 
but he gets him in a headlock. Sadly, the, his wind is blocked. He ends up dying. I wouldn't doubt the toxicology report reveals some type of drug use. But he was so out of control, even after he got locked up in this hold, the two other guys, including one black guy, this guy, the Marine's white, and this guy, Neely's black, uh, had to hold his arms. Well, by the time the stop comes and the cops show up, he's not breathing. They couldn't revive him. Sadly, he passes away. So the lawyers make it clear that never was the response. It never was the hope. They just wanted to keep people safe. And I heard on some of these tapes, there's some applause at the end. So Jordan Neely's family says he didn't apologize. So therefore, Daniel Penny's press release is not an apology, they write. It's an expression or expression of regret. It's a character assassination and a clear example of why he believed he was entitled to take Jordan's life. In the first paragraph, he talks about how good he is. And the next paragraph, he talks about how bad Jordan was. Sorry, all true. So now this kid is bad. Now they decide they want to start harassing cops, jumping on cop cars. I watched a cop being dragged, held up by two other cops and brought to his police car, obviously assaulted. I'm seeing other black cops walk around being screened at by black protesters because this guy, Jordan Neely, who wasn't worth a dime, didn't deserve to die. No one does. But see a governor come out and say, uh, you shouldn't die because you want to ride the subway. When Mayor Adams is totally responsible, saying, let's find out the details of this. I express regret for the family. But this guy was nuts. He was schizophrenic, needed to be on medication. You want to indict anything? Indict the system. Find out why he wasn't taking his medication on down. But you cannot blame the Marine. And right now, I ask you, if you're in a subway or a bus, wherever you are, what city you happen to be in, and you see a six-year-old woman, maybe with their grandkid, being screened at, yelled at, shaken down. And you say, well, I got to go help that person. Are you going to do it? Because do you want to have your life ruined? He already served his country for at least four years. He hops on the subway, then he's serving other people to keep them safe with the skills in which he has. And now he's being vilified by a bunch of activists who I'm sure are all being paid through the, through the overflowing covers of Black Lives Matter. There are race problems in every country probably here, this diminishes all those arguments when you do something as foolhardy as this and you abuse the cops in the process. When we come back, we talk about American history, Jane Hampton Cook, and then we talk about everything from what's happening at the border to what's happening with the debt ceiling with Senator Tom Cotton. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And on the other side of crazy, did you see what the San Francisco supervisors have done? They are now backing reparations, uh, if you're a black person in San Francisco, of $5 million. Really? No no reaction? Okay. (laughs) All right, let me keep going. You get $5 million, elimination of personal debt, of of all tax burdens, a guaranteed annual income of $97,000 for 250 years. Wow, must be some health care involved there, too. (laughs) And a home that you get for $1. And the... uh... (laughs) Let's see who's clapping there. The first to comment on this was uh, George Santos, who said, as a black man... So that is Bill Maher commenting on reparations. There was a reparation committee put out by Gavin Newsom. He gelled his hair, whitened his teeth, and left. And now it turns out the committee is recommending all these lavish 
uh, reparations to African-Americans who prove they have a link to slavery or some type of link. Now, I'm astounded we're moving forward on this. People want checks. They want money. They want houses. They want all these things. And we're watching the rants and I'm watching the press conferences. Person who understands history, the horror of Jim Crow, absolutely the halting of Reconstruction, the horror of, of, of slavery. Nobody's ever apologizing for it. But Jane Hampton Cook joins us now, esteemed historian, award-winning historian, author of a brand-new book, The Submarine and the Spies, Friendship and the Vigilance of the American Revolution. Jane, you have a perspective on our past. Do you think reparations, this is the right time? You know, no. I think that um, this is just another way of redistributing wealth. And, you know, certainly when we teach history, we need to teach, like you said, the horrors of slavery. But we need to also take stock of how far we've come and the great achievements of people. And so, yeah, I think this is this is just one of those things that keeps popping up every so often. Well, I think it's actually going to result in money from a broke state of California. Yeah, I don't know where they're going to get the money. <laughs> they don't have it. So right. I'm not sure how this is going to actually really, really work for them. And look at what's happening in California. I met probably three or four families last week. I was in North Carolina, and I met families that had moved from California yeah. to Texas who'd come to this conference. So, yeah, I mean, people are just leaving that state in droves. All right, so let's talk about uh, American history. Are you concerned it's not being taught in school? Are you doing anything uh, about that? Yes. So I'm really concerned. I'm concerned that, you know, in 2026, we're going to reach 250 years old, but the spirit of 1776 may not be alive. And so I really am trying to put out a lot of books that teach about the American Revolution. And so I have a new book called The Submarine and the Spies. It's about three Yale classmates who go on a hero's journey into the American Revolution. And the great thing about it is that you can use it to teach the hero's journey, which is literature, and you can also teach the American Revolution. So it, that's kind of what I think we need to do with our education system is do more combined teaching. You know, my son did a writing program where he was learning to write paragraphs, but it was all stories from medieval history. <laughs> so he learned his medieval history, by, but he was also learning his adjectives and adverbs. So we got to be creative. And I think that's one way we can do it. So tell me about this book. You, it's about a Yale classmate who leave the world of classical education to fight in the American Revolution. It's a fictional book using facts surrounding it. Why was this the best vehicle? And tell me about what went into it. Well, I really, you know, I, sometimes I, I, when I'm reading facts, I want to bring them to life, but I don't have, I don't know their exact conversations, right? I don't know exactly how things went down. And so I like to take real things that happen and real people and imagine how, how they, they uh, work together. And so what I discovered is that the inventor of the submarine that was used in warfare, David Bushnell, went to Yale with Nathan Hale and Benjamin Talmadge. And not only did they just go to Yale, they were in the same club. They were reading books together and having fun together and playing football together. And I realized, wow, they were friends. And then, you know, there was just a lot of during the revolution, they kept, you know, their stories kept intersecting. And um, the driver of the submarine was in Nathan Hale's, you know, unit on uh, Manhattan. And then Nathan Hale's death really seems to have impacted Benjamin Talmadge. And I think he was a better spy master because he 
saw his friend die as a spy, and Nathan and Benjamin would not give up the names of his spies to anyone. You know this better than anyone, and he wouldn't even tell Benedict Arnold before Arnold, you know, turncoated. So their friendship was really special, and you see how, you know, they were fighting for their homes. They were fighting for their homeland of Connecticut. They were fighting for their homeland of Long Island, and that really comes out in in their in the story that they were fighting for their homes. Uh, so it's so interesting. So what's been the reaction? I sold out of my books last week at a conference. I was at a homeschool conference with parents, and um, I did a little three-minute talk, and then I sold out of all of the books that I had with me. It was really, it was really great. Wow. I think people are hungry. They want to give their 12-year-old something that they can enjoy, that will entertain them, but also teach them something and enrich their understanding of that sacrifice. That's how you, you know, build pride. It doesn't yeah. mean you tell like America's perfect. They walk on water. Everybody wants to be American. You tell the story, and the more you may, you may, human you can make these founding fathers, the more accessible they'll be. That's right. And one of the things I discovered is in their social club, they actually had a day where they debated the issue of slavery, and that was on their mind. They also debated whether or not. Their sisters and daughters should be educated, and they said, yes, they should. We're getting this great education. Why can't my sister get this same education? So some of the issues that we criticized them for, they were, they were trying to think through them. They recognized them, and they were trying to figure out what to do and what, where they stood on those issues. So, you know, that's where you can authentically bring out, you know, some of the concerns. You know, you just tell it like, like, like it was. Tell like it was, which which means it helps us understand uh, why things are the way they are and how much progress we've made. And that's yeah. why I see these riots after this so-called subway, uh, the subway incident that happened last week. And they're talking about blacks and whites. And this is not a race crime. This is a guy that was out of control and schizophrenic and he's black and the Marine was white. But they have made this about race. And it really disturbs me. Yes. And, you know, um, they're talking about having different graduations for different races at certain campuses. And and that takes away from the concept of e pluribus unum, you know, out of many, one. And uh, we've got to figure out how to get together and unite here. Absolutely. Jane Hampton Cook, congratulations on the submarine and the spies. Friendship and vigilance in the American Revolution. Thanks, Jane. It was great to talk to you. Yes, great to talk to you. Thank you. Also a member of the Bush administration. Tom Cotton next. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Apparently there's a competition among them to see who can go, and the Chinese are in this sort of the catbird seat where the demander, you know, we're asking, and the Chinese are in a position where they're, you know, uh, chastising us. I think actually Burns said something correct a couple weeks ago where he said China's a much bigger challenge and much more powerful than the Soviet Union. So why do we think that sort of just playing nice and sort of being chastised and running along, why do we think that's going to work with these guys? I don't. Elbridge Colby weighing in last night with Laura Ingram always seems to take, like I do, a great interest in China and why we're not being more aggressive. We're still begging for our Secretary of State to go over there and reinvigorate the relationship. Why? It just shows weakness. You can't be the, you can't be the mature one in the room when you're dealing with these belligerent nations. I believe Senator Tom Cotton has been at the eye of the storm for a long time. Senate Armed Services Committee member, Senate Judiciary Committee member, ranking member of the subcommittees on criminal justice and, justice and counterterror. And also author of the book, Only the Strong. Senator Tom Cotton, welcome back. 
Hey, Brian, thanks for having me back on. And you're absolutely right. It's not just your opinion. It's the lessons of history uh, that you cannot coddle and appease and conciliate an aggressive dictatorship and expect to get anything but more aggression. So uh, we are trying to get them to talk to us again. They berated us saying that we want to have talk, but we're trying to challenge them and control them at every stead. Their belief is that by getting together with Australia, South Korea, Japan, expanding our bases in the Philippines and in Guam, uh, we're sending the wrong message. And to open up a line of communication would just be backing up that message and, and saying it's OK. That's how they view it. And even if it's lip service, that's what they're saying. Yeah, so I think it is lip service because I think they believe that they can intimidate Joe Biden into taking steps that are harmful to our national security, like backing off our support for Taiwan or not pushing forward with deepening alliances with countries like Japan and Australia and India. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan once said about Soviet Russia, um, we don't mistrust each other because we have all these arms, we have all these arms because we mistrust each other. And the reason we mistrust China is because they are an aggressive communist dictatorship that has stolen American jobs and industries for 30 years, that has threatened our allies uh, throughout the Western Pacific, that has claimed that they want to replace us as the world's dominant power. Um, we have not taken such actions towards China. Uh, and now China is claiming that our efforts to defend ourselves and our interests and our allies are provocative. Unfortunately, that's the kind of nonsense for which Joe Biden sometimes falls. So what we're witnessing right now is uh, China trying to challenge us when it comes to Europe. And we saw how Macron gave in and said, I'll just stay out of this when it comes to Taiwan. And it's just sickening. It's um, also mind numbing. And also the Germans were a little bit stronger. But they're also in support of China taking a role with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, where does Tom Cotton stand? Well, you see, again, the uh, consequences of weakness and appeasement with Emmanuel Macron's comments that France and Europe doesn't really have a dog in any fight between China and Taiwan. Um, when he made those comments, China was conducting military operations and training in the vicinity of Taiwan. And immediately after those comments, it increased the size and intensity of those operations because it emboldened and encouraged China. Um, I don't see how China has any productive role in Ukraine. They're not going to undermine their Russian allies. They're perfectly happy to continue to profit off the war in Ukraine in no small part because of uh, uh, the, they're now the beneficiary of cheap Russian imports. And they probably hope that it'll show that Joe Biden and Europe don't have staying power when confronted uh, with aggression by a dictator. Uh, that's why, one of the reasons why it's so important for America's interest that we stay the course and we back Ukraine to the hilt and we quit pussyfooting around as Joe Biden has done for 15 months. Right. Uh, I'm thoroughly in your corner. A lot of uh, a lot of people listening to me aren't and listening to us aren't. I thoroughly see that map and see the necessity in stopping them. I, I don't understand uh, why other people don't. I understand people being upset with uh, Ukrainian corruption of the past, and there needs to be a watchdog. I am not upset there are 20 special forces, if not more, around our bases. We ought to be able to escort VIPs like you in and out and get people like Benjamin Hall out when he gets hit. I, don't, I also understand why, why everyone doesn't need to know it. So although there's well, a, plenty of reason to distrust things coming out of the administration, I also think not everything has to be distrusted. 
Yeah. Brad, I, I think the simplest way to put the legitimate concerns of many of our fellow Republicans is that while I support Ukraine, I don't support Joe Biden's Ukraine policy. Um, Joe Biden helped kick this war off by appeasing and conciliating Vladimir Putin throughout 2021 and then the uh, disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan that tempted Vladimir Putin to think that he could go for the jugular in Ukraine and do what he's always wanted to do, which is reassemble the Russian empire. And then in the lead up to the war, in the early days of the war, Biden consistently denied Ukraine the weapons uh, in both kind and volume that they needed uh, to deter Russia. Now, the Ukrainians fought valiantly, but still to this day, Joe Biden is hesitating and uh, slow rolling the deployment of weapons, and artillery shells, and ammunition to Ukraine. That's why they haven't yet started an offensive. And here we are the second week of May. So there are plenty of Republicans who support Ukraine but don't support Joe Biden's Ukraine policy. The leak, they, would like right. to they would like to replace or to have started from the very beginning, not by what he always says, that we're going to back Ukraine for as long as it takes, but rather we're going to help Ukraine win as fast as they can. Senator Tom Cotton, my guest, and Senator, you also disturbed me this morning when you joined me and talked about how the administration's looking to cut the defense budget. Okay, I'm all for cutting spending and be more efficient. I want the Pentagon looked at from top to bottom for that reason. But you cannot cut our defense and not send the wrong message to the rest of the world and our allies. I hope you stand up against it. Uh, it's amazing that Republicans have to spend their uh, their cachet defending our own country. And what Democrats want to return is more domestic spending. It's nuts. Yeah, Brian, it's a little bit of inside baseball. It's very important for your listeners to understand it. Every year uh, in late May or early June, the Senate Armed Services Committee drafts and votes out of committee our annual defense bill. We were scheduled to do that the week of Memorial Day on schedule. But Chuck Schumer just weighed in and insisted that the Democratic chair of that committee, Jack Reed, delay that session by up to a month. And the reason he did it is that obviously he wants defense cuts to be on the table while Joe Biden is negotiating a debt ceiling agreement with Kevin McCarthy. Uh, that is extremely dangerous for our national security. We saw what happened after the 2011 debt ceiling agreement cut defense. Defense was the only part of government that didn't grow massively due to COVID relief programs. The last thing we should do under these conditions is to cut defense. We need to substantially increase the defense budget. Yeah, and, and I also would like the same time, a, a Pentagon audit. Not that they're wasting money intentionally. Let's just say they have the best intentions. How much dupl- duplication of a duplication of duties. What could we get by with and put more money into our fighting forces and less into the paperwork that needs to be done? I'm sure they would benefit from that and get more into R&D and revolutionizing what takes place there and get people involved that served. Get generals that just left to understand along with efficiency experts right out of Harvard Business School. And, and I think that could be done, too, as well. And I think everyone should sign on to it, but also sign on to what they conclude so they don't do something and just get it ignored. I want to, if I can, uh, talk about the Ukraine war in a second. Last night, I understand 35 Iranian-made drones again attacked Kiev. Almost all of them were shot down. Looks like the Patriot was knocked out of the hypersonic missile. Let me ask you, inside the Pentagon, how pleased were they that the Patriot was able to knock down a Russian hypersonic? Because how does that help us? Well, it's uh, an important 
uh, step, it, it shows that our missile defense systems are more than capable uh, of knocking down some of Russia's most advanced weapons. Uh, so I think they're pleased to see its performance in Ukraine. Uh, but again, it's another example uh, of having delayed the aid that Ukraine needs. We could have sent these systems months ago, uh, and it would have made a difference on the battlefield. Um, I'd also add that there aren't enough Patriot or THAAD or Iron Dome or other missile defense systems in the free world to be able to defend against all the missiles that Russia has, or for that matter, the missiles that China and Iran has. That's why we also need to provide Ukraine with the weapons they need to hit all of those Russian firing points on Russian soil. Russia cannot be allowed just to continue to stockpile artillery shells and weapons just across the border and to shoot into Ukraine with impunity. You cannot win a war on defense. You have to win it on offense. And as long as Joe Biden is scared of his own shadow, then we're going to keep Ukraine's army on the back foot. Well, it looks as though in some of the occupied areas of Russia, they're beginning to run out of gas and food, and they're telling people to move out. It does look as though things are getting a little bit desperate, and I'm always taking these things with a grain of salt. And it does look as though that we got that or, or the or the Ukrainian offensive was leaked out ahead of time by that irresponsible 21 year old uh, and that they were not informed by that. They found out about it in The Washington Post did Zelensky, which is inexcusable. So maybe they have the tanks, according to General Keene. Maybe they have the battle plan. They got the patriots in place. Could do you believe with everything that you know and have said that we could be seeing Ukrainian getting some back of their territory now? Um, I I do believe uh, that that could be the case, and I would just remind all your listeners that our intelligence agencies and our military and most European intelligence agencies and militaries predicted that Russia would roll over Ukraine uh, last February, that none of them predicted substantial breakouts uh, in northern Ukraine last September or southern Ukraine in November. So the Ukrainian army has fought bravely and skillfully over these last 15 months, if we would simply give them the tools they need to finish the job, I'm confident that they can have more successes, but they need those tools. Today at 4 o'clock, we're going to have all leadership meeting together about raising the debt ceiling. Not many people are optimistic. In fact, I think there's a presser tomorrow for Denver Republicans to get ripped by this White House saying they don't want to legitimately deal and they should give them a clean debt ceiling result. You've seen so much of this play out in your young career Where's this heading as we get closer and closer to June 1st when we run out of money? Well, obviously, Joe Biden was counting on uh, Republican members of the House of Representatives not passing a debt ceiling increase of any kind. Um, And Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans are to be commended for passing a very good bill two weeks ago that would raise the debt ceiling in a responsible fashion by including up to $5 trillion in spending reductions over the next 10 years, which we badly need, given our out-of-control spending problem in Washington. Yet Joe Biden still is just insisting in a stubborn and unreasonable fashion that the House Republicans have to fold. They have to give him exactly what he wants, which is a no-strings-attached bill that allow him to keep spending recklessly. That's simply not going to happen. It's not going to happen in the Senate either. You know, I joined 42 other Republicans in sending a note to uh, Chuck Schumer saying that we won't vote for a debt ceiling increase without any spending reforms attached to it. So it's time for Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer to sit down, to face reality and understand that they've got to address the spending crisis that we face. 
So, so lastly, Senator Tom Cotton, do you regret not running for president? You, you were one of the first people that we thought was going to get in that said no. Do you regret it? <laughs> you know, Brian, I was able to coach my kids' uh, little league and football games over the weekend in addition to teaching my son how to ride a bike back in January that he got for Christmas. Uh, so that's a way of saying no, not at all. Uh, I'm grateful to have the time with my family and to be able to continue the work uh, that I've been doing in the Senate for the people of Arkansas and uh, wish everyone who is running well. Uh, I know that we can find a, a good nominee for our party, but I 100 percent certain that my kids couldn't have found a different dad. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's very it's I've seen your I know you have a young family. That That's a big key for Ron DeSantis. He says this is what my kids are used to. I'm doing it anyway. Do you think he's having second thoughts now? We used to be in Congress with him, I believe, and I think there's no exploratory committee. The word is within two weeks he's going to announce. Do you think seeing how hard, how well Trump seems to be running, that he's having second thoughts? Um, not to my knowledge. Uh, he seems to be full steam ahead. Obviously, he just had an outstanding legislative session with lots of great conservative successes. Okay. Senator Tom Cotton, best of luck in New York. Stay safe. Thank you, Brian. Stay out of the subway. When we come back, uh, the story that did happen in the subway uh, that is plaguing this city now, uh, which means all eyes are on New York once again. Not only the illegal immigrants uh, who are being shipped to suburbs uh, and being shipped back, uh, 60,000 plus, but to the health and safety of Americans and the disrespect the NYPD is being shown. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It was one of the most chaotic and dangerous situations I've been in. And I've covered a lot, including the Minneapolis riots. The protesters were clearly there to agitate and disrupt. And I felt more so there to spar with police rather than be there for, for Jordan Neely. Um, the shouting, the screaming, the the. Just, this, just everything that they created and then jumping on the rails created a very volatile and dangerous situation for police, for the few media that were there, including myself, that in that moment you don't know what's going to happen. And that's a very uh, scary feeling that um, they created for everybody. Great booking by Laura Ingram yesterday. Rebecca Brannon, who's an independent journalist, sat there and taped all these riots. And you wouldn't believe how disrespectful the NYPD was treated, screamed at, spat at, and baited into reacting. But they knew they can't react. You saw one man get brought up and by two other cops had to drag him into his car to get him safe. Why are they uh, upset? Because of an incident that happened. Jordan Neely tragically died when he started screaming and threatening people on his subway, screaming things like, I don't care if I die. I don't care if I go to jail. Uh, he needs medicine or something. He's schizophrenic, it turns out. We look at his background, 44 arrests, three unprovoked assaults in, on women in subways. One got punched so hard in the head, she still has brain damage. Another woman got punched in the Greenwich Village at a deli. Then he tried to kidnap a seven-year-old. Can you imagine stuff they didn't get? He didn't get caught for. So he's walking around, creating havoc. This one Marine got him in a headlock. Sadly, uh, the, his hair was cut off. And I don't know the details. Nobody knows yet until we see the eyewitnesses. But they were clapping for him when it was done. But now they're saying because the Marine's white and Neely is black, it was his fault. 
and it's all about racism, and it's anything but racism, and everybody knows it, and these guys are just getting paid to riot and create havoc. And now they're going to put pressure on Alvin Bragg, who always goes out of his way to do the wrong thing, to indict this guy. It's in front of a grand jury, but these people are from New York. My hope is they also ride the subway, and they also felt that threat, or have a family member that feels that threat. Or you say to yourself when you see things happen, wait a second. Who's going to help? Who's going to stop this guy if I don't? You know, you see grandmothers with their kids on the subway. They're riding to get from A to B, can't afford an Uber, don't want to find a taxi, or it costs too much. Traffic is so bad now that you just, you're better off on a subway. But now you say to yourself, no one's even going to step up. Cops can't be everywhere. So to me, it's just a tragedy. When you see these people in the subway forcing these trains to stop, harassing people in the street, blocking bridges at rush hour. Do you know what they were doing over the weekend? Stopping people from getting off the subway. Imagine that. The subway's not moving. It's too dangerous. Then you can't get off the subway. Why? Because a 30-year-old schizophrenic lunatic who I'm sure is going to have all types of drugs in his system, except for the drugs that he needs, uh, dies because not many no one wanted to be a victim again. Jordan Neely's a tragedy. For them to riot in his name is tragic. Listen, make sure you go to BrianKilme.com, order any of my books. You can get it personalized. Every mom wants a history book for Mother's Day. They did all a million studies. So go to BrianKilme.com for that. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.